beautiful song. Good to have Maddie back with us today. Amen. Yeah. We're going to continue in our study of the Olivet Discourse this morning. And uh, I guess we'll just get, get right in. I'm a little bit nervous because I've got somebody sitting on the front row this morning. You know, I mean, I can go to any given church, on any, preach anywhere, and the front row is always empty. I don't care what church you go into. And the dirty little secret is nobody wants to get spit on by the preacher. So y'all are in jeopardy here. But uh, anyways, we're going to continue the Olivet Discourse. It is Christmas season, but uh, I'm following what the Lord, I believe, what he wanted me to preach on. And so I'm excited about what he's going to speak to us. We're going to begin the book of Revelation in uh, January, Lord willing. Unless the rapture happens first, then we don't need to study the book. But <laughs> uh, anyway, one thing you'll find as we go through the book of Revelation is that it's kind of a summary of the whole Bible. You'll, you'll see the Bible is almost like a, uh, like a thousand-piece jigsaw puzzle. Anybody like to work jigsaw puzzles? Okay, I, mean, I know Phil Caudill used to love to do this. Often, yeah. I, I love them. And uh, the key to, to the jigsaw puzzle... Being able to put it together is to have the top of the box, right? Without that, you're kind of lost. You can put the end pieces together, but uh, you see in the book of Revelation, it's kind of like the top of the, jig, the box. You know, everything, there's over 400 references to the Old Testament in the book of Revelation. It's the only book that promises a blessing to those who study it, interestingly enough. And it's a shame because a lot of people won't teach it or preach it because they're like, was so confusing. The, here's the ironic thing. The title of the book is the book of Revelation. Not Revelations, plural. I hear a lot of preachers say, we're in the book of Revelations. No, it's one revelation. And it's not just the revelation of future events. It's the revelation of a person, of Jesus Christ. Je if, if you go through the book of Revelation and you don't see Jesus on every, you know, every week, you've missed the point of it. And the word of, uh, revelation in the Greek is apocalypsis. And it means unveiling, okay? A lot of people believe revelation means the veiling. Okay, it's so mysterious we can't teach or preach on it, but it's actually the unveiling. And there's a blessing on those who read and understand. And we'll, we'll talk about that some here this morning too. Um, Matthew 24, it might be helpful if I get there. <laughs> I've asked you to get there. I'm going to ask Preacher Larry if he'll pray for us and then I'll, we'll get started. Amen, thank you. So up until now, we've gone through the, the uh, first half of the tribulation period. And the disciples ask him a question, what will be the sign of your coming and the end of the age? And up until now, he's told us a bunch of stuff that's not the end. Remember, he said you'll hear of wars and rumors of wars, but that's not the end. So now we get to the midpoint of the tribulation period, which is the critical sign uh, to understand the Olivet Discourse. And it is uh, Matthew 24, verse 15. Jesus says, when you therefore shall see the abomination of desolation, spoken of by Daniel the prophet, stand in the holy place, let him who reads understand. Okay, let's stop there for a moment. First of all, there's a technology statement here. He says, when you see it. Now, where is this going to take place? Does anybody know where this abomination is going to take place? In Jerusalem, in the temple, in the holy of holies. Now, who is able to go into the Holy of Holies? The high priest. How many times a year? One time a year. And yet Jesus says we're going to be able to see this. 
So there's a technology statement here. Long before satellite dishes were ever invented, Jesus Christ knew uh, that the world would be able to watch. Isn't that interesting how Jesus knows the future? Uh, since he's God and everything. <laughs> but anyway, but he says, When you shall see the abomination of desolation spoken of by Daniel the prophet. Notice he says, Whoever reads, let him be confused. Is that what it says? <laughs> but yet we treat Bible prophecy this way, don't we? Well, let's don't talk about Daniel because it's confusing. Let's don't talk about Revelation because it's confusing. And yet, Jesus expects us to be able to understand the book of Daniel and Bible prophecy. And so that's why I believe the Lord led me to preach on Daniel a year ago. Because you've got to read Daniel in order to be able to understand Revelation. It all fits together. Now when we hear the abomination of desolation as Gentiles, I think we might be confused. And we think, well, what does that mean? I've heard it. But to the Jews, they knew exactly what it meant because it had happened before uh, in their history. Let's go to the next slide, or the first, first one here. Now, uh, most of us in here probably don't celebrate Hanukkah. We probably celebrate Christmas or some, some variation of that. And if you don't, that's okay. Um, we're not contentious about those kind of things. Uh, but don't judge me because I put a Christmas tree up. Uh, we'll, we'll talk about that later if you want to debate on that kind of stuff. But, but anyway... There is an extra feast that was added to the Jewish calendar, not in the Bible, and it's Hanukkah. Now, the origin of Hanukkah was the first abomination of desolation. Now, that took place in uh, the, a century prior to Christ coming to earth. In 167 B.C., there was this guy named Antiochus um, IV, or Antio Antiochus Epiphanes, which means God manifest. You think the guy was on an ego trip or what? But um, he... Sacrificed a pig in the altar in the Holy of Holies. I'm giving you the short version here. <laughs> and uh, there was a group called the Maccabeans who, uh, who overcame Antiochus. And they rededicated the temple in Jerusalem. And the, the legend goes that there was enough oil to burn the lamp for one day while they rededicated the temple. But it actually burned for eight days. And that's where the miracle supposedly of Hanukkah comes from um, the, the temple was rededicated oh guess when December the 25th does God have a sense of humor I think he does now is that the day of the birth of Christ probably not but anyway um, that that's something that happened in their history and Jesus himself celebrated Hanukkah you can read about that in John 10 I'm not going to, to read that but and that by the way that is the exact time that Jesus gave that discourse and he said, no man is able to pluck the sheep out of my hand. He did that at Hanukkah. Pretty cool, huh? So anyway, it's already happened once in their history and it, it, it was predicted in Daniel eleven thirty one. but there's going to be another abomination of desolation. Um, let's go to the next slide. Boy, that's hard to see from back here. I don't know if you can see it from where you sit. Um, in Jeremiah 20, let's go to Daniel 9. Let's go to Daniel chapter 9. Daniel chapter 9. Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, Daniel.
we'll start our interactive portion. Adam, since you were such a good sport, sit on the front row. Yes, sir. <laughs> um, we're going to read a few selected scriptures from Daniel. Okay. Um, first of all, I want you to read um, verses 1 through 3, Daniel 9, 1 through 3. And read real loud into the microphone. One through three. In, in the year of Darius, the son of, you know that name, <laughs> in the lineage of Medes, who was made king over the realm of the Chaldeans, in the first year of the reign, I, Daniel, understood by the book the number of the years specified by the word of the Lord through Jeremiah the prophet, that he would accomplish 70 years in the desolations of Jerusalem. Then I set my face toward the Lord God to make requests by prayer and supplication with fasting, sackcloth, and ashes. All right, thank you. Okay, so he read Jeremiah 29, which I've got up here on the board, which you probably can't read, or at least I know I can't. <laughs> All of it. But in Jeremiah 29, the Lord says, I have appointed uh, 70 years for you to be in Babylon. So Daniel understands. Daniel stayed a long time in Babylon. I mean, he had a long career. And he understands that the time is almost over, and it's time for them to go back. And so what he does then is he begins to pray. Now Daniel is, is misunderstanding what's going on here. Daniel thinks that when they go back to the land, that the Messianic kingdom is going to be set up. That's exactly what he expects to happen. And, uh, and Gabriel is going to interrupt his, his, uh, his prayer. It's, a, it's one of the greatest stories of the Old Testament. Gabriel gets to the throne of God, to Bab from the throne of God all the way to Babylon in about three minutes. Because that's about how long it takes to pray that prayer that Daniel prayed. And uh, so if you're wondering if an angel can get to you in a hurry, yes sir, he can get there real quick. But, uh, but Daniel's praying, and he's, he's praying that they're going to go back, okay, and that the Messianic kingdom is going to uh, take place. But, but Gabriel says, no, it's not going to be 70 years for the Messianic kingdom but it's going to be 70 weeks of years. So we're still in Daniel chapter 9, okay? So, um, all right, Adam, would you read verses 21 through 27? Yes, while I was speaking in the prayer, the man Gabriel, whom I had seen in the vision of the end, being caused to fly swiftly, reached me about the time of the evening offering. And he informed me and talked with me and said, O Daniel, I have now come forth to give you skill to understand. At the beginning of your supplications, the command went out, and I have come to tell you, for you are greatly beloved. Therefore, consider the matter and understand the vision. Seventy weeks are determined for your people and for your holy city to finish the transgression, to make an end of sin, make reconciliation for iniquity, to bring in everlasting righteousness, to seal up vision and prophecy, and to anoint the most holy. Know therefore and understand that from the going forth and of the command to restore and build Jerusalem until the Messiah is the Prince, there shall be seven weeks and sixty-two weeks. The street shall be built again and the wall even in troublesome times. And after the sixty-two weeks, Messiah shall be cut off, but not for himself, and the people of the prince who is to come shall destroy the city and the sanctuary. 
The end of it shall be with a flood, and till the end of the war, desolations are determined. Then he shall confirm a covenant with many for one week. But in the middle of the week, he shall bring an end to sacrifice and offering. And on the wing of abomination shall be one who makes desolate. Even until the consummation, which is determined, is poured out on the desolate. All right, thank you. One of the most amazing prophecies of the Old Testament. Let's go to the next slide. Thank you. Notice Gabriel says 70 weeks, and these are weeks of years. Remember, Daniel's thinking in terms of years, not weeks, but week in terms of years. And he says 70 times 7, how many years is that? 490, good, good job. And, and 70 weeks are determined in verse 24 uh, upon the church and upon Peachland, North Carolina. Is that what it says? No. Upon who? Upon your people, Daniel. Who are Daniel's people? Israel, the Jews. And upon your holy city. What city is that? Jerusalem. That's right. This whole thing, this whole program centers around the Jewish people. Um, now, there's a starting point. He says in verse 26. Notice verse 26 says, um, Know therefore and understand. It doesn't say be confused. Ignore it. But he says to know and understand. Is that what it says in your Bible? Okay. And you guys are sleeping on me this morning. I know it's rainy. I know it's raining out there, but, but stay awake. So, uh, he says, Know and understand. There's a starting point. He says, from the commandment to restore Jerusalem. That happened in Nehemiah chapter 2. I don't have time to revisit all of that this morning. And it would take uh, 49 years or 7 weeks to rebuild Jerusalem. And if you've ever read Ezra and Nehemiah, you know that it was no easy task. There was a lot of opposition uh, to that. Now there was another 434 contiguous weeks. Um, or three score and two weeks. Now, if my math is right, that's a total of 69 weeks of years or a total of 483 years. Is that right? It is right. I just, just make sure you're right. Okay. Uh, now, <laughs> something happened. See, I have to laugh at my own jokes when you don't participate. It's 40, 483 years. Then there's a pause button on Daniel's prophetic time clock, okay? 483 years come to an end, 69 weeks come to an end on Palm Sunday. Amazing. Gabriel predicted exactly when Jesus would march into Jerusalem on the donkey. And the Jewish people should have known this. Look in Luke 19. Notice that Jesus says in, uh, in Luke 19, he says, if you had known... Even you, especially in this, your day. How should they have known what day it was? They should have read the book of Daniel. They should have listened to Gabriel. Because he told them that the Messiah was coming into Jerusalem on that very day. That's amazing. That's remarkable. All right, next slide. We're rolling here. Now, there's some things that are going to happen after the 69 weeks. Number one, the Messiah is cut off. That means he's killed. Jesus died. Also, the temple would be destroyed. Now, there was a 40-year gap, roughly, between the death of Christ and the destruction of the temple. So we know these, uh, these years are not contiguous, right? There's a gap here. 
And he talks about a flood, symbolic of war. And the land of Israel will be characterized by war, and, and hasn't it been? All right, let's go to the next slide. Now, let's talk about the 70th seven. We get to verse 27. Now, the 70th seven is what we know as the tribulation period. And how long does it last? Seven years or one week. And these years, uh, are the seven-year period is divided into two, three-and-a-half-year periods. Now, the starting point of the clock was what? The decree to rebuild Jerusalem. Now, the second subdivision, which is the 62 weeks, there was no significant event, right? So there's no sign given. Are y'all with me? Sort of, kind of. Okay. However, the last sep- there's one more week that remains on the calendar. Can we agree on that? There's one more week, seven years, okay? Now, that seven-year period has a sign that shows us when it begins. And that sign is not the rapture of the church. Let's go to the next slide. The, next, the sign is the signing of the covenant. The seven-year treaty. Now, uh, in English, it says he shall confirm the covenant. In the Hebrew, it says gabor berith, which means a uh, strong guarantees. And we can speculate as to what some of those guarantees might be, but I suspect that one of those strong guarantees is that the Jews will be allowed to rebuild their temple. I suspect that because of what we read in the subsequent verses. Now, it says that he will force... The uh, cessation of the offering. Well, wait a minute. In the previous verse, didn't we just see that the city would be destroyed? And the sanctuary? In verse 26. So lo and behold, Daniel predicted the same thing that Jesus predicted. That the temple would be destroyed. You see that? Now what's significant about this is when Daniel gets this prophecy, there's no temple. Nebuchadnezzar has already destroyed the first temple. So here there's a prediction of the second temple and the destruction of the second temple. Do you see that? I I see the light bulbs coming on for some of you here this morning. Seriously. It fits together like a jigsaw puzzle if you'll just let it. Jesus is predicting what Daniel had already said was going to happen. Okay? So then uh, we read that there's going to be a covenant and, and in the 70th week, there's going to be another temple. Do you see that? Because he's going to cause the offering to cease. Do y'all see that? In order for the offering to cease, there's got to be another temple. All right. Man, we're batting a thousand here. <laughs> Praise God. All right. Now, I believe that the New Testament also predicts this event outside of Matthew. Paul says in 2 Thessalonians 2, verse 4, that the Antichrist is going to go into the temple and he is going to proclaim himself not to be Messiah, but to be God. And he's going to demand to be worshipped. Revelation 13 also predicts this, that the false prophet and the Antichrist are going to make an image. And if you don't worship the image, what's going to happen to you? It's going to put you in time out, right? It's going to kill you. All right. Let's go to the, well, no, wait, 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 not yet. 
Sorry. Let's go back to Matthew 24 now. All right, Adam, put your uh, gospel shoes back on. Matthew 24. And we'll wait on Marcia to get there. We know she's a slow turner. <laughs> we sure do appreciate Marcia and, and Abby and uh, Wendy doing our children's church on Sunday mornings. Aren't you glad that they're doing that? You know, our children teaching the kiddos. All right, we're in Matthew 24 now. Now, we've, we're finished with the abomination of desolation. Everybody says, thank you, Jesus. But I tell you what, if you don't get this, you won't get prophecy. That's why I keep hammering it home. You've got to understand it. All right, now, I want you to notice, as you should have noticed throughout all of this discourse so far, the Jewishness of it all, right? Temple, old Jerusalem, Jerusalem, I wanted to gather you, and so forth. All right, now... Adam, please read verses 16 through 20. Matthew 24, 16 through 20. Then let those who are in the Judea flee to the mountains. Let them who is on the housetop not go down to take anything out of his house. And let him who is in the field not go back and get his clothes. But woe to those who are pregnant and to those who are nursing babies in those days. And pray that the flight may not be in the winter or on the Sabbath. All right, thank you. Now let's go to the next slide. Thank you, Sam. Doing a fine job, sir. Notice all of these things are specific to the Jewish people. Verse 16, he says, Let them which be in where? Judea flee into the mountains. He doesn't say those who are in Polkton flee to Polk Mountain. Those who are in Waysboro flee to Gatlinburg. Right? Uh, where am I, what mountain am I supposed to flee to if this applies to me? It doesn't. It applies to a, a group of people living in a, in a certain place. Let him which is on the housetop. Gosh, when was the last time you were on the top of your house hanging out, having a good time? Now, I heard Brother Jimmy was on top of somebody's house working on something yesterday. Or on top of a building or something. Chances are, if you're on top of the house, you're cleaning shingles out i mean you're fixing shingles or cleaning gutters or something you're probably not up there fellowshipping with your friends are you unless you're roofing together i mean um but in israel they've got these flat top roofs and they lit they it served that the top of the house serves as like a living room in the evening where was king david when he saw bathsheba he was on the rooftop he wasn't he wasn't cleaning out his gutters he probably should have been but <laughs> He wasn't cleaning out his gutters, right? He was up there because that's where people in Israel, at the end of the day, in the cool of the evening, they'd be on the housetop. Again, this is specific. And even to this day, uh, you can still go from house to house. You can go from rooftop to rooftop. Um, and notice the urgency. He says, don't go downstairs to get anything. Uh, he says, let him which is in the field, don't go back to get his clothes. So pay attention to that. Because Jesus is, notice what Jesus is not saying. That, so many of these prepper guys, and I'm not against prepping. You know, I believe you ought to have water and food and uh, batteries and generator and all that kind of stuff. But don't do it thinking you'll survive the tribulation with that. You know, Jesus did not say, okay, now when you see the abomination of desolation, grab your beanie weenies and your ramen noodles and make sure you got a case of bottled water. And make sure you got a, a radio, a shortwave radio. No, he doesn't say that, does he? He says, get out of Dodge. No, don't even take any clothes. Do you see that? Urgency. 
All right, next he says, do you pray that your flight would not be in the winter? Oh, dear me. Now, what if, how does this apply to me here? Now, we live in a great part of the world, I believe, and we get four seasons. And sometimes we get them all in one day, don't we? It's winter in the morning, it's springtime, lunchtime, it's summer in the afternoon, it's fall in the evening. Israel, not so. They have two seasons. They have a dry, hot summer and a cold, wet winter. Okay. Now, in the wintertime, they have these, in Israel, they have these, they call them wadis. How many people have been to Israel in here? You got a few people? Okay, you see any of the wadis there? There's these dry riverbeds, okay? And when they get these torrential rains in the wintertime, these wadis fill up with water, and it becomes very treacherous to try to navigate that. So Jesus says, pray that your flight would not be in the winter. Um, I ignored verse 19, by the way. He says, also those that are pregnant and those that are nursing. Why? Because it's going to be difficult. Anybody that's had, ever had a baby knows that you, it's hard to get anywhere fast with a baby. It's hard to travel. Uh, it's hard to get to church on time when you've got a baby. It's hard to, to do anything when you've got a baby. But... Um, he says, pray that your flight be not in the winter, nor on what kind of day? Yes. Sabbath day. Does the Sabbath day concern the church at all? No, it doesn't. Uh, the Sabbath is a sign between God and Israel. You can read about that in the Old Testament. Well, what about Sunday? Well, Sunday's not Sabbath day, folks. The reason we worship on Sunday is because Jesus Christ rose from the dead on the first day of the week. It's not because this magically became the Sabbath day. It's not. Uh, and some of us call this the Lord's Day, and I'm going to show you, if, when we get to the book of Revelation, that the Bible does not actually call Sunday the Lord's Day, but I'm not going to fight with you over it or start a new church over it. The uh, Bible says every day is the day that the Lord has made, <laughs> and I'll rejoice and be glad in it. You know, some folks want to fight about, well, we go to church on Saturday or go Sunday. Just go, you know, <laughs> you know just go and worship God. All right. Pray that your flight be not on the Sabbath day. Now, not only does the Sabbath not concern the church, but in Israel, on the Sabbath day, the public transit system doesn't work. They, they shut down on Sabbath day. Adam, you've been to Israel. I know my, my oldest daughter's been to Israel, and she was freaked out. She went to Israel right before COVID. And uh, uh, on the Sabbath day, if you go into a hotel, many of them have what's called a Shabbat elevator. And when you go into the Shabbat elevator, all the lights on every floor are lit up. Okay? And so if you don't know anything about Shabbat, your first thought is, man, some brat kid has come in here and pushed all the buttons on the elevator. And the reason you think that is because that's what you did when you were a little kid. But, uh, <laughs> but all the buttons are pushed. And it's not because some bratty kid has come and pushed all the buttons on the elevator. It's because pushing a button on the Sabbath day is considered work. And so the Shabbat elevator, if you get on that elevator, it'll stop at every floor. Okay, So that's going to be a pretty long ride if it's a high, tall building. And uh, so anyway, but all of this, here, here's the cool thing for me, is that all of this presupposes that one day Israel will come back into their land. And that happened exactly in 1948. And then in 1967, Israel regained Jerusalem after the Six-Day War. All right. 
Let's go to the next slide. Now, in Matthew 24, verse 21, so far we've been talking about the midpoint of the tribulation. What's going to happen at the midpoint? And now he's going to transition into the second half of the tribulation period. And I'm not going to take you all the way to the end of the tribulation today, so don't, don't get nervous. I've only got a few more verses here. For then shall be great tribulation, such as not since the beginning of the world to this time, no, nor ever shall be. Now up on the screen here, Daniel 12. By the way, none of this is new material, guys. All of that discourse is not new material. Now, upper room discourse, new material. Stuff that they hadn't heard before. All of this is Old Testament prophecy. Daniel 12, 1. And at that time, Michael. Underline that in your brain somewhere. We're going to visit that in just a minute, okay? Michael. And who is Michael? He's the archangel. He's the chief angel. Arch means chief. So, I know we like to talk about Gabriel blowing the trumpet and the rapture, but actually Michael blows it because he's the archangel. But, you know, let's don't let Scripture get in the way of a good song, right, Brother Ryan? <laughs> uh, anyway, I'm going to shut up now because I'll get in trouble. Michael shall stand up, the great prince, who stands for who? The children of your people, Daniel. Who are Daniel's people? Israelites. Pay attention, folks. And there shall be a time of trouble such as never was since there was a nation even to that time. Sounds a lot like what Jesus just said in the Olivet Discourse, doesn't it? And at that time, your people, who is Daniel's people? The Jews, shall be delivered. Every one that is found written in the book. That's a circumlocution for those of you who like big words. But that's a big long way of saying the elect. And we'll visit that here in just a minute. Okay, pay attention. Daniel 12, 7 tells us how long is this great tribulation going to last? It's in yellow up on the board. <laughs> a time, time, no it's not, it's in white. It's underlined, time, times, and a half. How many years is that? Three and a half years. 1260 days, 42 months. And when he shall have accomplished to scatter the power of the holy people. This is the purpose of the tribulation, guys. It's to break Israel's national pride and get them to trust in their Messiah, Jesus. That is the purpose of the tribulation. It's not to purify the church. It's not to get the church ready for the kingdom. All right, let's go to the next slide. Again, this is not new material. Joel verse 2, Joel chapter 2 says that this it's a day of darkness of gloominess. This is the day of the Lord. There has not been ever the like. Neither shall it be any more after it. Sounds a lot like what Jesus said in the Olivet Discourse. Amen? Jeremiah 30, verse 7. This is the quintessential tribulation verse. Alas, for that day is great, so that none is like it. Sounds a lot like the Olivet Discourse, doesn't it? <laughs> even to the, it is even the time of the church's trouble. Jacob's trouble. But he shall be saved out of it. Notice there's a rescue mission going on here. The second half of the tribulation period is a rescue mission for Israel. And I can't stress that enough. And man, God has really given me some feel-goods this morning. I wish you could feel what I'm feeling right about now. 
Maybe you will by the time we get out of here and you go home. You're like, well, I'm glad that's over. Okay, next slide. Second half of the tribulation period. Now listen carefully to me. This is the midpoint or the second half of the tribulation period, but the world is already under tribulation. At this point in time, the six seals of Revelation 6 have already been opened. There's already been wars, famines, plagues, pestilences. And over a quarter of the world's population, and I can prove it to you, I'm not going to this morning, but I, over half the world's population has already been destroyed. So this period of trouble is not just coming on the world now, but now it's going to be concentrated for who? Israel. For Israel. Now the first three and a half years, Israel is having a relative period of security because they have signed a treaty with who? Antichrist. He's protecting them. So while the world's been under the wrath of God already, Israel has had relative peace. It's a false peace, but a relative peace. Now go with me to Revelation 12. Man, man, oh man. You're going to see here how the Bible fits together like a jigsaw puzzle. Marsha, you shouldn't have any trouble finding the book of Revelation there. Marcia, uh, Revelation chapter 12. Now, oh, I'm not going to tell you what she just said, but. Don't feel bad, Adam. I can't see either. All right, Revelation 12. But at least you are wearing your glasses. Uh, Revelation 12 is the companion passage to, to what we're looking at right here. The book of Revelation is not, it's not impossible to understand, guys. Read verses 1 through 6. Revelation 12, 1 through 6. Now a great sign appeared in heaven, a woman clothed with the sun, and the moon under her feet, and on her head a garland of twelve stars. Then, be, then being with child, she cried out in labor, and in pain to give birth. Another sign appeared in heaven, behold, a great fiery red dragon, having seven heads and ten horns, and seven diadems on his head. The tail drew a third of the stars of heaven and threw them to the earth. And the dragon stood before the woman, who was all ready to give birth, to devour the child as soon as it was born. She bore a male child who was to rule all nations with a rod of iron, and her child was called up to God and his throne. Then the woman fled into the wilderness, where she has a place prepared by God, that they should feed her their 1,260 days. All right, hold that. We see a great wonder in heaven. There's a woman clothed with the sun, the moon under her feet, and upon her head a crown of 12 stars. Now, if you haven't ever read the book of Genesis, you don't know who this woman is. But if you've ever read the book of Genesis, you know who this woman is. Because there was a young man named Joseph who had a dream. And, in, and that man, Joseph, he saw a dream, and he saw the woman, and he saw the stars. And guess who it was? Jacob understood who, who it was, because he got mad, remember? He said, what are you telling me, boy? Are you gonna, my mom and, uh, your mom and me are going to worship you? We're going to bow down before you? The woman is Israel. Read, read the book of Genesis. It's Joseph's dream. Okay. So the woman brings forth a man-child in verse 5. That's Jesus. You should love the Jewish people. Without them, we don't have Jesus. <laughs> I mean, plain and simple. 
Now, verse 6, it says that the woman fled into the wilderness where she has, been, has a place prepared of God that they should feed her how many days? 1,203 score days. How many years is that? Three and a half years. Do you see that? Do you see that? Jesus is describing Revelation chapter 12. Remember, he said... When you see the abomination of desolation, he says, get out of Dodge. He said, don't grab your coat or your cloak. Don't grab any food. Why? Because in verse 6, we find out that God is going to supernaturally take care of the Jewish people. You see that? That's amazing. Dr. Thomas Ice, and, and this is just his opinion, but he believes during that time that the Israelites will be fed with manna, that God will feed them just like he did when they were in the exodus from, uh, from Egypt. Boy, I got goosebumps. Now, don't make it true just because I got them. <laughs> but I'm telling you what, God's going to take care of them. All right, Adam. Now, read verses 7 through 10, please. And war broke out in heaven. Michael and his angels fought with the dragon, and the dragon and his angels fought. But they did not prevail, nor was a place found for them in heaven any longer. So the great dragon was cast out, and the serpent of old, called the devil and Satan, who deceives the whole world, he was cast out into the earth, and the angels were cast out with him. Then I heard a loud voice saying in heaven, Now salvation and strength and the kingdom of God and the power of Christ have come. For the accuser of our brethren, who had accused them before our God, day and night, has been cast down. Wow. So... Notice in verse 7, there's war in heaven. And who stands up for Israel? Michael. Michael. Where have we heard that before? Book of Daniel, right? What did Daniel say? What did Daniel say in the book of Daniel chapter 12? At that time shall Michael, the great prince, stand up for who? For Israel, for their people. And at this point, Satan loses, at, he loses access to the atmospheric heavens. Right now, Satan has access to heaven. Not to worship, not to serve, but he has access to heaven to question and to accuse. Remember the book of Job? Satan goes before God. He's, right now he has access to heaven um, to accuse us day and night. You want, you know, you want to know why your conscience won't, uh, why condemnation just seems to heap on you sometimes and it's hard to get rid of it? It's because you've got an adversary who is trying to condemn you day and night before the Father. And what you need to remind the devil of when he brings up your past, you remind him of his future. <laughs> And you say, that's under the blood, Satan. I've been forgiven. We're not going to talk about this anymore because God has put it as far as the east is from the west. Amen? All right, so at, that, at the midpoint of the tribulation, Satan is cast down to the earth. All right, do you see that? He's cast down to the earth. Now, Adam, if you would, read verses 12 through 17. Yeah, just read the rest of the chapter. <laughs> Sorry. Therefore rejoice, O heavens, and you who dwell in them. Woe to the inhabitants of the earth and the sea. For the devil has come to you, having great wrath, because he knows that he has a short time. Now when the dragon saw that he had been cast to the earth, he persecuted the woman who gave birth to the male child. But the woman was given two wings of a great eagle, that she might fly into the wilderness to her place, where she is nourished for a time and times and a half a time, from the presence of the serpent. So the serpent spewed water out of his mouth like a flood after the woman, 
that he might cause her to be carried away by the flood. But the earth helped the woman, and the earth opened its mouth and swallowed up the flood which the dragon had spewed out of its mouth. And the dragon was enraged with the woman, and he went to make war with the rest of her offspring who keep the commandments of God and have the testimony of Jesus Christ. All right, thank you. So verse 12, we find out that the devil's really mad because he knows he's only got a short time. And it says in verse uh, 13 then, when the dragon saw he was cast into the earth, he persecuted the church. Is that what it says? No, who does he persecute? The woman. And the woman is who? Israel. The last three and a half years are focused upon Israel. The devil. Now, if the church was on earth, don't you know he'd be after you too? Sure he would. He's after you now, isn't he? He can't get you, but he's after you now. But in the tribulation period, he's after the woman. Why? Because the church is out of here, brother. We're gone. He's persecuting the woman. And the woman is given two wings of a great eagle. Now, some people believe that's an airplane. I, don't, I think that's a simplistic interpretation, but it could be right. Um, when God carried the children of Israel through the Exodus, they are said of being carried on eagle's wings by God. So I think that's a metaphor for the Old Testament. But anyway, uh, she's carried away, and, but she's nourished in verse 14. And how long is Israel taken care of? Three and a half years. All right, let's go back to Matthew now. You see how when you put the Bible together, it all starts making sense? It's, it's not, I mean, it's not like trigonometry or calculus or whatever, it, or quantum physics. It's, it, if you'll just read the Bible, it'll answer its own questions. Matthew 24. I thank you for your participation and your patience and your attentiveness this morning. And I hope you're getting a blessing out of this. This is, this is not... This is not C-spot run kind of stuff. I understand that. All right, Matthew 24, verse 22. This will be the last portion of Matthew we read today. And except those days should be shortened, there should no flesh be saved. Wow. That sounds pretty catastrophic, doesn't it? People say, well, I think I'd like to just get saved after the rapture. No, 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 no. No flesh should be saved, but for the elect's sake, those days shall be shortened. Now, a lot of guys misunderstand this. I was reading John MacArthur, and I believe he misunderstands this. I don't believe that that means we'll be less than 24-hour days or that God's going to cut the time short because he's already told us exactly how long it's going to be, three and a half years. But I think what we should see here is that unless it had been limited to three and a half years, if it would go one day, let me put it this way. Jesus is saying if the day, if the tribulation period went one day beyond, nobody would survive. And I believe that's a technology statement too. Because in the days of uh, muskets and bayonets, you couldn't say that. Right? I mean, but in the days of thermonuclear war, and biological chemical warfare, you can say that. But no flesh would be saved. Now, let's go to the next uh, slide here. Now, some people will read this and they'll say, well, that's no fair. God just loves those Jews 
and he's going to protect them. And, and why is he doing this for them and not for me? Well, hey, if you want to go to heaven, you can go to heaven. And I'm going to tell you how. <laughs> today. Well, I mean, you don't go to heaven today, but I can tell you how you can go to heaven today. And you can be as sure as if you're already there. But I want you to see this in Zechariah, verse 13. Excuse me, Zechariah 13, verse 8. It says, It shall come to pass that in all that land, it's talking about the land of Israel, two parts thereof shall be cut off and die. But the third part shall be left therein. So two-thirds of the nation of Israel are going to die. And here's where we get into uh, theological debates about things. Just because you're a descendant of Abraham doesn't mean you're a true Jew. Okay? Notice verse 9. But there's a third part that he's going to bring through the fire. What fire is that? It's the tribulation period, guys. And I will refine them as silver is refined. Try them as gold is tried. And they shall do what? Sounds like they're believers. Right? Jesus is looking at those scribes and Pharisees and woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees. Woe unto you, woe unto you, woe unto you. You shall not see me again until you shall say, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Zechariah 13, 9. What's going to happen? They're going to go through the tribulation period. The power of the holy people is going to be broken. And they're going to say, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Yeshua, come Yeshua, come Yeshua, come Yeshua. Hallelujah, and he's going to come. And I will say it is my people. So we see here that the people who are surviving the tribulation period, it's not just because they're a physical descendant of Abraham, it's because they believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. Glory to God. All right, now let's answer this final thorny question here. Because Jesus said, unless uh, the only reason for the elect's sake, the time is limited. All right. And so people say, well, uh, they want to make a debate about election and predestination and free will at this point. We can have that conversation, but keep it in context, guys. In this context, remember Paul has not written any letters to the churches yet. All we have is a Hebrew Bible, an Old Testament canon. Let's go to the next slide. The elect in this context is Israel. Deuteronomy 7, 6 says that God, they are God's chosen people. Psalm 135, 4. The Lord has chosen Jacob and Israel. Isaiah 41, verse 8. But you, Israel, are my servant Jacob, whom I have chosen. Isaiah 45, 4. For Jacob, my servant's sake, and Israel, my who? Elect. Isaiah 65, 9, I will bring forth the seed out of Jacob and out of Judah, an inheritor of my mountains, and mine elect shall inherit it, and my servants shall dwell there. So we can talk about election and free will and all that stuff, but this passage is not the one to use for that. Because in this context, Jesus has been talking completely, <laughs> exclusively about Israel and the Jewish people, not about the church. We can have that discussion too. All right. But for the elect's sake, uh, they'll be saved. Now, I got one more slide here that we're going to get to in just a, uh, just a second.
You may read this and you may think, well, why do I care about any of this? I'm going in the rapture. I'm not Jewish. How does any of this apply to me? Well, I'm glad you asked. Number one, if you're not saved, this could be you going through this. Folks, this is going to happen. Every prophecy that Jesus ever made came to pass. Every prophecy that the Old Testament prophets ever prophesied came to pass. It, every, and precisely, all of this stuff is going to happen. You don't need to go to, to a fortune teller. You don't need to read horoscopes. You can read the Bible and it's going to tell you what's going to happen in the future. It's coming to planet Earth, whether you like it or not. This is coming to planet Earth. Okay? And even though you're saved now, if you're a Christian... There was a point in time when you were not saved. You know, there was a guy that wrote a book, 88 Reasons Why the Lord's Going to Come Back in 1988. And you can get that book pretty cheap now. But I'm so glad that the rapture didn't happen in 1988 because I would have gone through the tribulation period or died. So even though it may not concern you specifically, it probably does concern somebody you go to work with somebody you, that lives in your neighborhood or somebody in your family. And so it ought to give you and me a sense of urgency. Number one, a sense of gratitude. Thank God I'm saved. You know, we just celebrated Thanksgiving. I think it shouldn't be just one Thursday in November. It should be every day. We should, we should thank God every day that we've been delivered from the wrath to come. We've not appointed under wrath. But somebody you know is on their way to wrath. Right now, somebody you know is under the wrath of God. And if they die, they'd spend eternity without Christ. And if that doesn't break your heart, you need to get in this altar this morning. This could be one of your loved ones. But here's, the, here's something, and, and I, I do this every time when I finish my outline and I pray over it. I say, oh God, just speak to me. Just speak to me. I've got all my notes here. I've got, I've got this thing, I believe, rightly divided as you would have me to do it. But Lord, breathe on it. Speak to me. And I just as clearly as, as, as I'm speaking to you now, I heard the Holy Spirit say, the reason you should care is because these are your people. You see? When you read the Old Testament, you're not just reading a collection of stories about random folks in random places. You're reading about your people. Do you realize that? I don't think you fully realize that, that you and I have been grafted into Israel. Now, we are not Israel. We're distinct from Israel. But we have been grafted into that olive tree, see? And so these people, these people that God's going to be protecting for these three and a half years, these are our brothers and sisters. I said these are our brothers and sisters. These are people that are going to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, Yeshua, and we're going to spend eternity with them. And so they're going to go through some really, really, really difficult things. That's why the Bible says to pray for the peace of Jerusalem. I try to do that whenever I can. Because these people are your people. Jesus said many will come from the east and the west. And they'll sit down with Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. You're going to see all these people, guys. You're going to meet Daniel. You're going to know who Daniel is, and I believe he's going to know who you are. 
Peter, on the Mount of Transfiguration, he knew who Moses and Elijah were. You know, he didn't need anybody to show him a directory of heaven and show me your name tag or anything. He knew who they were, Moses and Elijah. And I believe those are the two witnesses, by the way, but we'll, we'll get to that later. But uh, these are your people. And God supernaturally is going to care for them. Now think about this. When they see the abomination of desolation, Jesus says, I need you to leave. Don't even take time to go downstairs. That's how urgent it's going to be. Okay? No time for preparation. But God has already gone before them. And for three and a half years, He not only is going to protect them from the Antichrist and from all those people that want to kill Him, but He is going to somehow make sure that their clothes don't wear out, that their shoes don't wear out, that they have plenty of food to eat. Boy, that sounds real familiar, doesn't it? Sounds like 40 years in the wilderness compressed into three and a half years. God's going to take care of them. So moral of the story here is, if God's going to take care of them, will He not take care of you? Will He not take care of you? Your every single need. There's not one thing that you need that God won't provide. Now, I didn't say won't. But I said, there's not one thing that you need that God won't provide. Would you stand? Would you, let's go to that last slide while we're standing here, too. Let's just tie this thing up, put a bow on top of it. Paul, when talking about the Jews in Romans 11, I'm going to give you a homework assignment. Read Romans 11 this afternoon. You'll see how God feels about Israel and how you ought to feel about Israel. Romans 11, verse 28. Paul's talking about these Jews right now who are rejecting the gospel because most of them have. But there is a remnant that still believes. But he says, As concerning the gospel, they are enemies for your sakes. But as touching the election, notice he refers to Israel as the elect of God here too. They are beloved for the father's sakes. Who are the fathers? Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. For the gifts and the calling of God are without repentance. Aren't you glad? When God calls you, He doesn't change. God does not change His mind about you. Somebody needs to hear that this morning. That's a word for somebody. Because some of us, we get saved and then we kind of, you know, we go astray or whatever. And we think, well, God, you must have made a mistake. No, God doesn't make any mistakes. His gifts and His callings are irrevocable. They are without repentance. He says, for as you in time past have not believed God, that's everybody in this room. Yet now you have obtained mercy through their unbelief. The reason you're saved right now, let's get off our high horse for just a minute. The reason you're saved right now is because Israel rejected their Messiah. That's why you're saved. It's because they rejected Him. Yet now you have obtained mercy through their unbelief. Even so have these also now not believed. Who? These guys I'm talking to you about this morning. That through your mercy, they may also obtain mercy. <laughs> that same grace that we feel right now, God's going to pour it out on those people in that time period. For God has concluded them all in unbelief, and look at His motivation. Look at the motivation of God. You want to know what kind of God God is? The reason God does things the way He does is so that He can have mercy on every single person. There's not a person in this room God does not want to be saved. There's not a person in this room that Jesus does not love. There's not a person in this room that He did not personally die on Calvary's cross for and shed His blood 
that if you'll put your faith and your trust in Him, He will come into your life and be your Lord. I don't think I can belabor the point anymore. If you don't know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, Jesus died on the cross for your sins. He was put in that tomb. He rose again the third day. If you will believe in Him, if you will confess your sin, repent of your sin, change your mind. Say, Lord, I'm sorry, I'm a sinner. Save me. He'll do it. If you're a believer here this morning, you're kind of playing around, just playing a church game, kind of lukewarm, don't know what's going on, you need to press in and pray and seek God and read His Word because we are living in biblical times, folks. Would you come?